0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, just four remain in the hunt for the 2017 National Lacrosse League Champions Cup. We saw a great game in Vancouver, an unexpected blowout in Toronto. We'll check in with both teams as they get set to host game one of the divisional finals this weekend. And what's up with the College Box Lacrosse League? All that and more on OTCB. I am- What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. We are into the playoffs and off the divisional finals. Did you enjoy it last weekend? Curious, because obviously some people will have enjoyed it more than others, but if your team didn't happen to be in one of those two division semifinal games, did you enjoy them? I sure did. I was at floor level of the LEC Saturday night and had a front row seat for what was an incredible lacrosse game. Those in Toronto saw a pretty good game as well, especially for the home team. And the Mammoth and Rock prevail to set up this weekend's finals, semi or division finals. Both games going Saturday night. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for checking out the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Still trying to find a couple answers to some questions some fans had sent me. I'm just waiting for some responses back. So I have, if I haven't gotten to you, please stand by. News will be coming your way. And if you're a Mammoth season ticket holder, get your tickets. If you're a Rock season ticket holder, do the same. And I really implore the Rock season ticket holders to get out and get their tickets because there was nobody at the ACC. That's not true. There were six odd thousand people there which was, I believe, a record low for the Toronto Rock, which blows my mind. And with all this talk of, you know, selling out the LEC and what are we going to do about games in Georgia that are going to be streamed live and the optics that those in Georgia will create with empty seats. What's it going to look like this weekend in Toronto? The Raptors are out. The Leafs are out. The Blue Jays are winning-ish. TFC is moving along. There was more people, and this is a fact from, or a number from Chris Fox, there was more people at the professional rugby game in Toronto than there were at the Rock game. Mind you, it was 21 people more. However, that is a team that has just started, and they were playing a team from Oxford, England, and 6,200 people showed up to watch it. And yet, the Rock couldn't get 10,000 people into the ACC. Curious things continue to happen in the National Cross League. I was impressed with the crowd in Vancouver. It could have been way bigger and better. But for their first home playoff game, they had 4,500, I think, or so around there. And it was loud, and it was boisterous. And when they were making their comeback late, the the crowd was fantastic. But I just hope that this weekend in Toronto, there will be a big crowd. There's going to be a massive crowd in Denver. We know that. Um, next weekend or in two weeks, there's going to be a massive crowd in Saskatchewan. We know that. I just hope the East can sort of, quote-unquote, compete with the West in terms of attendance for these divisional finals, because this is something that we need to address as a league of why we cannot get more people out to these games. And, you know, the excuse of, well, they only had one week to plan, I get that. But you should be able to get more than 6,600 people in. Especially in Toronto. Especially for a playoff game. Now they're going to get another playoff game against Arguably the best team in the National Lacrosse League right now. The number one seed coming into the playoffs. Let's hope that Jamie Dalek and his ticketing group and his marketing group. And the Toronto sports community can rally around the Toronto Rock. It's a little brother syndrome. And while the Mammoth continue to pack the Pepsi Center, they have a bit of a little brother syndrome too. When we were in Vancouver this weekend, um, GM President Steve Gov had made a comment about um, somebody in the, one of the Denver sports writers wrote a piece in the Denver Post about the Cronky label and the Cronky name and the lack of success of Cronky teams in the area. Talked about the Rapids and the Avalanche and the Nuggets. The Mammoth, were never mentioned in the article. They're the only team that made the playoffs. They're the only team that continues to have success attendance-wise. And this guy fails to mention them. It boggles my mind how big city sports writers can just forget about teams that are at a professional level and are successful. Sure, The Rock aren't exactly selling out the ACC, but they're really the only pro team to bring a title to that city in years. So it'll be interesting to see, attendance-wise, how things work out, because I think the Toronto media needs to get behind the Toronto Rock, but it just never does. They are so big league... Focused, and I get that. But when the only team that's made the playoffs in your city continues to make the playoffs and you continue to forget about them blows my mind. However, as mentioned, The Rock have moved on in a I don't want to say a thrilling game because it wasn't really thrilling. It was an unexpected game. Because, wow. At one point, at the end of the first quarter and into the second quarter, it was 6-5 New England. Matt Sawyer, unhappy with the play of Nick Rose, wanting to shake things up, pulls Rosie and puts in Brandon Miller, who had only factored in the five games this year and really hadn't seen any playing minutes at all of any significance this year. Comes in as it's 6-5. And proceeds to only give up five more goals the rest of the way. And the Rock go on to win it 18-10 in large part to a 9-1 run between the second and fourth quarter. That is a very impressive run. Especially against a team like New England who in years past have really focused on their defense. Well, the Toronto Rock offense for the second straight game put up 18 or more game or more goals, sorry. And I don't think they do that, do that if they don't make that change. Sure, Rosie could have settled down at the quarter break. He could have gotten through things and everything could have turned around. But the change for Brandon Miller was massive. And he came in early and that's sorry, late in the first quarter, and really started to settle things down the back end. And early on in the second, New England was pressing, and B. Miller had to step up his game.
1: Around the perimeter, there's Buchanan, Kyle Buchanan, with a sidearm hurl, and Miller stops it by that was rebound. A big, Goes long right back another save. However, it's a fresh 30 again for the Black Wolf. One more time, and another save by Miller.
0: Rolls over after making that stop. Those three saves back-to-back really catapulted Toronto forward in that game because after that goal, that's when they really started to go on their run. Tom Schreiber would score on the power play. Brody Merrill and Jesse Gamble unassisted in transition. And then Hickey on another power play goal late in that second quarter, gave them a four-goal run and a 9-6 lead going into half. After outscoring Toronto 6-5 in the first quarter, New England was outscored 13-4 over the final 42-odd minutes. And that is not a championship defense. What Toronto did in stifling Evans and Crowley and the Buchanan boys, that is what championship D's are made of. But more importantly. Teams that are going to contend. Get contributions from everybody across the floor. And we're going to talk about this. About the Vancouver game. Momentarily. But when you look at the Toronto points dispersal. dispersal, Kieran McArdle three assists. Brett Hickey eight points. Stefan LeBlanc. Five points, Schreiber seven, Bearns three, Merrill three, Lintner with a pair, Edwards with two in transition, and Reed Reinhold, who has been just this diamond in the rough, undiscovered blossom chipped in four points. That's how you get it done in the postseason. You put up big numbers, you spread the ball, and you don't give any teams any chance of continuing momentum. Because if New England had been able to continue that momentum without the goalie change, then that game could have gotten out of hand a lot quicker or could have gotten out of hand in favor of the Black Wolves. But Toronto settled down. B. Miller came in, and they didn't just do the, you know, hey, hey, Ro- hey Rosie, just grab yourself a breather. We'll put you right back in. Nope. Matty Sawyer made the switch, stuck to his guns. And it paid off. It paid off. And now they get another home game. They'll host Saturday night's East semifinal. And then next weekend have to go down to Georgia in a two-game best-of series with the option for a minigame. The move to put in B. Miller paid off. The move to go out and get Kieran McArdle and Tom Schreiber Paid off better than anybody could have expected. And because of it, Kieran McCardo has gained a lot of respect in the lacrosse world. And Tom Schraber has supplanted himself as one of the best all round players in the game today. I spoke with him earlier on in the year. I figured we'd speak with him again. As he makes his first foray into the National Lacrosse League playoffs, and his Toronto Rock are on a roll. So I asked him, "What was the feeling in that room as a group after that win, knowing what they had accomplished?"
1: Sure, I think especially uh, finishing the season the way we did. You know, we, we ended on a high note in Buffalo, getting a win, but um, you know, had a had a couple losses in a row there, and um, it was definitely nice to bounce back. Um, I think in a lot of ways it was uh you know pretty much the definition of a team win. You know, you had mm-hmm. we had a Nick Rose going out and, and Brandon Miller coming in and doing a a great job and defensively we were solid, our transition was great and uh fortunate enough to put a lot of uh a lot of goals in the back a lot of balls in the back of the net. So
2: um it it was huge.
1: You know, I think we needed it. I think we needed a uh a big win like that and uh I think we're you know excited for, for next week.
3: What do you think turned the momentum in that game? Obviously you guys went on, on a pretty good run uh, between the second and fourth quarter. Uh, what was the message from Matt Sawyer that really sparked you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it came from, from Coach Sawyer and um, from Brody and, and a bunch of our other leaders at halftime, just it uh, kind of staying calm and, 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 you know, fixing the negatives and, and capitalizing mm-hmm. on the positives. And I know, You know, that's somewhat cliche, but it it was really about staying calm, not panicking, uh, sticking to what we do best and, uh, you know, getting the job done. And and again, I think, I think, uh, Brandon Miller coming in and and performing the way he did was inspiring in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I got to hand it to to my man, Kieran McArdle, giving us a little spark with, uh, you know, his, his fight there and, uh, toward the end of the game, but. Um, I think there was a lot of high energy plays, especially in transition, just big momentum swingers out there that uh, that really helped us kind of build more and more energy and more and more, more and more momentum as the game went on.
3: Did you know that Kieran had that in him? <laughs> uh,
1: I, I, he he's always played with an edge. Um, yeah. You know, obviously there's no fighting in the in the outdoor game, but he's always played with a little chip on his shoulder, and he's always. Um, getting in little scuffles, it seems like in in, uh, in our season here in Toronto. And yeah, he's a he's a tough kid. You know, he play he plays attack in the outdoor game and, and is an offensive player, but um, he's as tough as they come. And, and I think he's bigger than people realize. So I knew he had it in him. Um, I was really excited to see him do well there. And, and like I said, he he really sparked us.
3: There was probably a few shocked faces and a few laughs on the bench after that fight happened, weren't there? Uh, for sure, and then I was
1: definitely
3: <laughs> one of them. <laughs> this is a group that, you know, you mentioned had a bit of a lull in the middle late part of the season. Um, but you guys have always been able to rally around. You talk about, you know, rallying around Brandon Miller late in that game. What's been sort of the best part about this group in your first year that, that has shown you uh, how resilient this group is? Well, we,
1: we haven't. A very solid mix of, of veteran players who have been around, and then and then a, a lot of rookies. Um, you know, th- this team has changed so much in the last year. Um, you know, this is my first go around, so I wasn't there to to really keep an eye on on what changed and whatnot. But you can tell that that a lot of roles were switching and, and guys were responsible for different things. And um, I think our leadership has been by committee in a lot of yeah. ways, but it's been tremendous. Um, you know, Brody Merrill is our captain. He's who clearly our our biggest leader, our, our our you know the guy who who controls everything. But um, you have you have a lot of other guys that have stepped up into new roles. It seems like and have really you know steered the ship, you know, especially during that, that couple game uh, losing streak
2: and, and mm-hmm. just keeping
1: us calm and, and making sure that we're we're doing the right things at practice and and coming out with energy and you know, even even you know, toward the end of that losing streak and I and I think the last one was in. Uh, Saskatoon. Uh, I think we think we made a lot of steps forward. I think we improved yeah. a lot despite losing the game, um, and that and that came from 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 Coach Sawyer and um, and from Brody and just making sure you know you're not just thinking okay we lost but we improved a little bit here and we have to continue to improve and I think we did the following week and and we've been able to ride that uh, ride that high and ride that momentum um, over the weekend in, in Toronto and hopefully we can continue to to do that going forward
3: from your first day in camp back in late November, early December to now, did you ever think it would go this well for you? Um, I didn't, I didn't really think too much about that.
1: Um, I, I think across the board and, and this includes myself and Kieran, I think a lot of us were motivated by you know, being a rebuilding year in Toronto mm-hmm. and um you know, you don't have to be a lifelong boxer cross player to know um the history of of the rock and how much success they've had and, and how much pride they take in in their team and and the fans how much pride they take in the team and um i, I don't think anybody was was on board to simply you know, rebuild and kind of you know, reload for for next season i think yeah. i think everybody was motivated by that and and, and i certainly was and yeah i, I didn't think more than uh a week at a time because I I really couldn't um especially back in the beginning when you know, my head was still spinning and and I was still um just trying just trying to get better every time I was out there and, and my short term goal was to make the team. Yeah, and
3: yeah, yeah. um
1: and that took a little extra work, um you know, having having no box experience and, and working with the coaches and working with some of the best and um I didn't really have too much time to, to think about you know, what my season may look like because I was yeah. I was just trying to just trying to make the team and then from there it was like wow like I'm I'm dressing in Rochester I Ooh. can't believe it I have to go out there and, and try not to make a fool out of myself and, yeah. you know that that, that <laughs> attitude you know, shifted yeah. as 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 the year went on but um, it, it still is kind of a week to week approach um, and, and just you know try to pick up on different things uh, week after week.
3: So how do we get more guys like yourself and Kieran, guys who are new to the boxing, how do we get them indoors? Do you think – I don't want to say you're you're a pioneer, you're a a path setter, because there's been guys before you who have done uh, incredible jobs in promoting the game to American players. But you've really shown that you don't need much experience to be able to step inside and have success. What's the message you give to to younger guys south of the border in the U.S. to, to encourage them to play box across?
1: Yeah, first off, I, I I totally agree with you. I know that you know, we've gotten a, a fair amount of press for for being American and playing this game, but there there's been I don't know the exact number, but hundreds of the guys who have who have had a lot of success uh, that are American, and um, some people that that Karen and I have a pretty tight relationships with, Casey Powell, and then uh, it is, the, there's a a pretty solid Princeton, uh, Princeton mcross and yep. Oxacross connection with, with yep. guys like Josh Sims and Jesse Hubbard and Ryan Boyle. And I know John Hess played a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, I'm probably missing a couple guys there. But um, I, I think, I think my short answer would be is to, to figure something out between the um, NOL mm-hmm. and MLL seasons. Yeah. Um, as unfortunate as that is, I think you, um, it, it's, it's a pretty it's a difficult situation knowing you're going to miss games with your, with your MLL team um in, in favor of, of, Hey, maybe I'll give this league a shot, which, yeah. which was, which was my attitude going into it. Um It was a difficult decision back then. And, and frankly, it, it, it's difficult now. Um, You know, I'm a hundred percent on board with the rock and you know, we're trying to win a championship, but you know, I, I, I can't act as if I'm, I'm not, you know, keeping track of uh, what the Ohio Machine is doing and how mm-hmm. they're doing, and, and and keeping in touch with those guys. Um, so that my short answer would be to to allow guys to play in both leagues and not have yeah. to miss any games on, on either side. Um, and, and and to your point, it, it's, it's a difficult transition for sure. Um, and you know, there there are some uh, skill sets that will translate better than others. Yeah. But I, I do think a lot of guys can come in and, and contribute immediately. And if they stick with it for um, a long period of time, then they could really improve. Um, that being said, I, I, I know Karen and I are pretty fortunate to have um, guys like Jamie Dowick, you know, fly us in early and, and, yeah. and have guys work with us extra because it, it, it definitely wasn't just, you know, we didn't just step on the floor and, 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 you know, have success right away. I, I, I'm sure it was pretty ugly those first couple of training camp <laughs> sessions. You know, yeah. I I was still learning about you know bicep pads and kidney pads. I didn't even know what <laughs> I was supposed to wear. Yeah. Um, I, so it, it 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 was definitely a process, but you know, yeah. it, under the right circumstances, and, and we were extremely fortunate. And I think you know other owners, other you know coaching staffs, and front offices around the league, I'm sure would do the same um, going forward. And, and I and I
3: think. You know, a lot of guys could do it, but it really comes down to the scheduling. Absolutely. Um, so this weekend, moving forward, you guys get to host game one of the East finals against the Georgia Swarm. Uh, you guys will have a practice this week. You guys will watch film. You guys will get together. But what's the early message going into uh, a huge game at the ACC?
1: Yeah, I think I think just we have we have practice tonight, so we haven't, yeah. we haven't gotten too, uh, too far into it. That's a great team on the on the other side. There, um, they're they're as complete as it gets. You know, their offense obviously has a ton of firepower and um, a lot of familiar faces for me on the defensive end with with yeah. field players over there and and their goaltending is also really good. Um, and I I think you know the theme for most of the year was was more so worrying about uh, what we can control and obviously focusing on the other team and, and there's a scouting report and things you have yeah. to be aware of, but. I, I think that the main message is, is making sure we're doing the right things that will make us successful. And I know, you know, that's, that's somewhat cliche, but I, I think it's super important um, yeah. not getting too caught up in your opponent and just making sure that, you know, you're you're fixing the things that you struggled with in the past and, and making sure you're doing the things uh, that you've been successful with for the whole season and not really straying away from that. So it's uh, a combination of a couple of things, but, you know, it, it'll be a tough test, but, I do think that we're we're playing well right now and I think uh we're we're in a pretty good place. So it it, it should be a competitive series and hopefully we come
3: out on top. You guys had back-to-game, back-to-back games of over 18 goals. You played Georgia twice. Both games were overtime one game thrillers. Uh was this year any fun for you? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um yeah,
1: I mean it, in a lot of ways we played in a lot of exciting games. Um and and it's just you know, I, I've had to digest all this stuff so quickly that um it, it, it's been a blast. You know, yeah. I haven't had too much time to, to worry about anything. I've just enjoyed the process and enjoyed learning and playing in new cities. You know, I've I've joked around with some people before. i am like i I never thought I'd I'd ever travel to, to Calgary or, or Saskatoon <laughs> or, or anywhere else. Um yeah. and and you know, there I am finding myself there competing you know, with, with the Toronto Rock, a, a team that I knew of, but you know, never thought I'd be playing with. So it, it's been a uh, it's been a fun ride, and, and hopefully it goes on for another uh, another few weeks here.
0: Well, they will get two more weeks for sure, and maybe a few more. They'll take on the Georgia Swarm Saturday night at the ACC, and then a week later down in Gwinnett for Game Two, with that possibility of a mini game. You heard Tommy talk about Kieran's fight. And that is why I say he gained a lot of respect from a lot of people because I don't think anybody really thought he had that in him. Mostly because you never would have expected it. But late in that contest, he gets caught up with Zach Reed. Good mercy, Hurst boy. Shout out to the Lakers. Got totally screwed in the NCAA brackets all because of a loss to Seton Hill. I digress. So McCardle gets caught up with Zach Reed late in that game, 30-second shot, call, or it might have been a, a possession call, and McArdle's putting the ball down. He gets a stick around Reed's head. He gives him a poke, gives him a slash. Play gets blown in, and then Reed asks him to dance, and McCardle says, I'll be your Huckleberry. Yeah, Around, didn't like what saw there. Have to be careful. Don't want to take a penalty. Whoa. Hold on now. Zach Reed and Kieran McCartough.
3: Okay. All right.
0: They say, let's go, baby. McCarnell swinging. Working the jab. McCarnell, the haymaker. Reed gets back up He's jersey. Reed can't get free. Tries to hook an uppercut. McCarnell has him down. And lays a couple more blows. In the air. Canada center comes alive. I did not see that one oh. coming. And when Shani says he didn't see it coming, you knew it was a surprise. But that's awesome. From for Ricardel to, you know, that's almost a rite of passage in a way. You know, to be in your first fight, especially for guys, you know, that haven't played the game during the summer and seen, you know, a lot of the craziness that came can happening in the game in the Canadian summer ball. And may have never been in a fight. Who knows? Maybe he's gotten some pointers. Maybe he asked Billy Haastrauser on the bench. Hey, Billy, I'm going to go Reed, or what do you think I should do? Got some pointers, but he hit him with a, a pretty good right right on the button that knocked Reed down, and Reed got right back up, and then they tumbled towards the boards. But it's just another stage of learning the indoor game that these guys have accomplished. And it leads me into the Colorado Collegiate Box Lacrosse League. And if you don't know what the CCBLL is, it is a new program started by uh, the U.S. Boxer Association, Matt Brown, um, Denver Lacrosse. They've come together to try to continue the insertion of the indoor game in the United States. You've heard me talk about U.S. Box Law on this podcast before. They are the unofficial, official box governing body down south. They have, I want to say, nearing, they got to be nearing 4,000 kids playing uh, all across the country in just small pockets in different rural areas. And they have travel teams. They have pseudo-national teams that come up. Across the border up to Canada, playing some very prestigious tournaments. Uh, of course, they have their national champion, championships in San Jose. They have done a lot of work for the indoor game at the minor level for kids, you know, six, seven, eight years old, all the way to just before high school. So they figured okay, now that we got these kids started, we have to find a way to keep them in the game after, you know, they kind of get out of the U.S. box program. So they started the Colorado Collegiate Box Lacrosse League. And it's going to get underway this summer. And they are going to have four teams in their league. The Gold Miners, the Bighorns, the Stoneflies, and the Fighting Bison. They're going to play from June until August. And it's really starting to gain some traction. It's open to anybody that is a freshman in college. Basically, as soon as you graduate high school, Until you graduate college, you're eligible to play in this league. And it's not just for kids in Denver right now. Because it's their first year, they're sticking to just four Denver-area teams. They're going to play at the Foothills Center where the Mammoth practice during the week. But it's open to any collegiate player across the country. Um, If if you're an out-of-towner, they're going to try and find a place for you to stay. They're going to try and find you a job working in the lacrosse community in some form or another. They're going to be bringing in high-level coaches, and they're going to teach kids. They're going to continue to teach kids and players true box lacrosse, true Canadian box lacrosse. And the U.S. will put out a video this week um, just showing highlights of Canadian lacrosse games. Um, But it's voiced with Matt Brown. They do an interview from from Matt Brown talking about the CCBLL. The CCBLL is the first junior A, junior
1: league in the U.S. for collegiate-age players. You're eligible to play in the CCBLL from the summer after you graduate high school to the summer after you graduate college, Gives. A young American players an opportunity to continue to develop like the Canadians do in the summertime to play organized, safe, box across where you're also developing. And I think this is the start of something really big. The model is going to start here in Denver. We have four clubs that we're going to start with in year one. And the goal is to take this and introduce it to other markets across the country. So, again, we have more American-born players playing real, true, authentic box across the right way and developing so that they can help
0: the collegiate teams and then one day hopefully playing in the National CrossFit. What a fantastic initiative and what a great program to implement in hopes of growing the indoor game south of the border and getting more college players playing during the summer keeping their sticks in the hand, getting them inside the box, and really understanding the nuances of true box lacrosse. Because if you go to some areas of the United States that try to play a hybrid game of box, it's different. It's guys switching hands. It's soft lacrosse. They're so not really playing you know, full cross checks or slashing and anything like that. It's very hybrid. That was sort of the introductory, what's what they did just to try to get as many people to play as they could. Now, what Matt Brown and his group are doing is saying, you know what, that's great. You've got a taste of it. Now we're going to teach you the right way. And now we're going to play it the right way. And just imagine if Kieran McArdle or Tom Schreiber or go back in the day, Brian Langtree, Jay Jalbert, Paul Rabel, Paul Cantabine, like some of these names that go all the way back, and I just said like six, but like there are hundreds and hundreds of American players who have never really played indoor lacrosse and just stepped indoors and had to figure it out on the fly. You heard what Tom Schreiber said. One of the biggest advantages that he had was the fact that the Toronto Rock group, whether it had been – Colin Doyle, who worked really closely with those guys, or Brody Merrill, or Josh Sanderson, Brett Hickey, all those guys that took the time to work with those guys and stayed late after practices and sat down and broke down film with them instead of just throwing them to the wolves. Ask Paul Rabel how much Chris Hall impacted his ability to adapt to the indoor game. Chris Hall mentored Paul Rabel's box mind and shaped it and developed it and made him into a two-way animal in his first couple years in the league. And then once he was traded and moved back east and was playing in Philly, he didn't have Chris Hall there anymore. And they didn't use Paul Rabel right. They just said, go out and do your thing. And that's what happens a lot of times with these Americans that try to step indoors is they're just deers in the headlights and try to hit everything and try to split dodge and switch hands. And when you do that, not only are you hurting yourself and not developing properly, you're actually taking away from your team's ability to be effective. So teaching these kids properly and developing their indoor game and showing them proper picks and rolls, proper jump defenses getting the field mindset out to not switch hands or dodge down the outside. The more we mold that, the better our game will be in the long run. The more players we have playing indoors is better for our game. It's only natural. Look at the success of the al sherbesky tournament or the European Championships. Look at the number of countries and teams that go over there and play in those tournaments. There it will eventually slowly be an influx of European players coming to the National Lacrosse League. And with expansion coming, the more Europeans we have and the more Americans we have, the better. And we're going to need them. With all the expansion hockey did, they needed the Russians they needed the Germans and the Swedes and the Finns. They needed all those players to come over and join the uprising of a young American talent to create the NHL that it is now. It's the same thing lacrosse is going to need. And so kudos to Matt Brown and to U.S. Box and everybody involved uh, in getting that up and running and getting that started and sorted because it is an incredible opportunity for a lot of college kids to play some box. And with all the Canadians down there that are going to school in the States and talking to these guys about, hey, man, why don't you come play a summer of lacrosse up north? We'll get you a job, give you a house. And they're thinking, oh, man, maybe, but I just never played it. And it could be a big jump because junior teams don't always have the ability to sit down and break down film and, and all the things that a pro team can do. But if they maybe have one or two years under their belt, Playing true box down south in their you know freshman and sophomore year, maybe come junior senior time. That's when you get them up north, and that's what this program will help develop. It'll help develop more kids playing box, wanting to play box, loving playing box, and then the opportunities will arise to come north, play summer ball for one or two year two years, get on the radar of some of these. WLA, MSL, Pro-GM watch list. And the revolution is coming. And I cannot wait. It's going to be fantastic. The other NLL semifinal game was at the LEC. And as I mentioned, I had a front row seat for that ball game. And it was as intense standing by the... Mammoth bench as it was, I'm sure, to watch that game in the stands or to watch it on NLL TV. There were moments where I flashed back to the Oilers game the night before where Edmonton blew a three-goal lead with three minutes left and lost in double overtime as Corey Small started that comeback for Vancouver. I was very nervous. And it was a battle of attrition. It was a complete track meet. And you have to tip your hat to both clubs for putting on a fantastic spectacle in Langley because that was one heck of a lacrosse game. Colorado was up. Vancouver clawed their way back. And they eventually would get it tied nearing the end of the half. But for Colorado... I think one of the biggest things for them going forward in that game was the Joey Capito goal at the end of the half.
3: Colorado comes up with a the ball. They'll lob ahead here quickly. Vancouver all trapped up the floor. Capito with Coates. Here's Capito tucking. And that one's going to count. What a stinger. What a stinger.
0: Indeed, Brad Chaloner, it was because, like I said, that goal, it gave Colorado hope and belief in the fact that they could go in up 7-6 at the break. Was huge. But it wasn't over. There was still plenty of lacrosse to be played. And Justin Salt, who is most likely going to win the Transition Player of the Year award this year. Um, he scored a minute 51 in to tie that game. And then the teams would trade goals. Colorado would take a two-goal lead into the fourth quarter. Corey Small made it 10-9, a buck 15 in. And then Jordan Gillis with his second, Zach Greer and Callum Crawford would all score goals in about five and a half minutes to make it 13-9. And you thought, okay, maybe there's a bit of breathing room. But as we have stressed from game one of the season, way back in 2016. It was a year ago. No lead is safe in the National Cross League, ever. And Corey Small would make it his life goal to get his team into overtime, force that extra attacker, and he would score three goals in three minutes and make it 13-12. And then the Stealth would make one last final push to try and force overtime.
3: And if you're Vancouver, you want to leave yourself a little bit of time here, Brad. You chance to wait for the buzzer because you're down one. Maybe give yourself a chance for a rebound if you can't cash in on the first go. Listen to this. Here we go. 13-12-11. There's Here's Reese Dutch, holding, Dutch loading, that shot goes off of mammoth stick out of play with 5 seconds to go. Ryan and more shot. Late whistle from the official, here's Logan, Shuss off of Ward, and that'll do it. Mammoth are going to win it. A late look from Shuss, stop from Dylan Ward, and that is over. The Colorado
1: Mammoth get past the first round. It wasn't the Calgary Roughnecks this year's Vancouver stealth. And they have a date with the Saskatchewan Rush.
0: A win in the postseason that they had been desperately needing. Vancouver needed a home playoff game. They needed it desperately for that organization and for everybody involved and all their fans. They needed that home game. Colorado needed a win in that semifinal more than Vancouver needed that win. Because if they had gone seven straight years of losing in that semifinal game, there would have been a lot of questions to be asked. But they held on, and they moved on. And Captain Dan Coates, along with a few other members of that Mammoth squad, got their first ever playoff win and it couldn't have felt any sweeter. Much like catching up with Tom Schreiber earlier today. I caught up with Dan Coates, the captain of the Mammoth, this afternoon and just asked him what it meant for him and that franchise to finally get over that semifinal bump.
2: Uh obviously, you know, getting that win uh for a core group of us has been around for a couple of years, it was huge. Um you know, I think for for our team and for our organization uh, as a whole. And, uh, you know, you get some texts from uh, guys who played in the past and they were pretty pumped, but uh, we're certainly not satisfied and uh, we're looking forward to this opportunity and uh, this weekend.
3: Throughout this year, you guys have had moments where you, you've had stretches of good lacrosse and then, you know, a couple minutes later, you're allowing a team to get back in the game. And that's kind of the nature of the National Lacrosse League, but as Vancouver started to claw their way back late and Corey small was going on a bit of a chair, what was the message from you as the captain and, and from coach Pat Coyle, just to calm those guys down on the bench to make sure you guys were so focused on what's next.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, it was definitely showing, you know, what we had as far as our mental makeup and, you know, I've been a part of team, uh, a game on both sides of that where, uh, you know, you've, you've had a team kind of clawing at you and, uh, also doing the same back. But uh, I think it was just to big play present. Um, you know, folks at a task his hand. I think, uh, you know, they got the ball back with 16 seconds left for one final shot, and uh, Pat Crow said just to focus on this play. And, um, and we were confident in our group, and I don't think mm. we ever questioned it. Obviously, um, if we could have got it done with a three- or four-goal lead, that would be, you know, I think we all would have been a little happier with that. I don't think we were – um, happy that we let them back in, but it is what it is. That's the game of lacrosse; the game of runs. And uh, like I said, I think we've done it both sides of, of that game. Uh, you talked about the core group of guys that
3: you know have been through this quite a lot. It's six years of of trying to get over this semifinal hump, and for once it wasn't Calgary. But for you, what does it mean to to be able to win that game and, and get a shot to go to the final?
2: Yeah, it's huge. This is, you know, why we play. This is why we train the long hours. This is why we watch the film. I think every guy, you know, does the exact same thing in, the, in this league and, and it's the play for our Champions Cup. And, uh, you know, we're excited. Uh, we're confident in our group. Um, we have a ton of character, I think, with the additions. You know, we've made in the offseason and in-season have, have helped us. And, uh, you know, we're we're confident and we're just – we're excited for this opportunity. You know, we got four teams left. Um obviously Saskatchewan's right in front of us and they're a great team and uh
3: you know I, I
2: we're excited for this opportunity to go out and compete. Uh
3: we're gonna get to Saskatchewan in a minute, but some of those names that you talked about um bringing in the off season, even mid season with the addition of uh Sulphur and Stephen Keo have been huge for you. But you finally got to play this Vancouver team with a full lineup and it really showed of how cohesive this group can be, but how important to your group is the veteran presence of Zachary.
2: Uh, I can't say enough about him. Um, it's on the floor. It's off the floor. Uh, his attitude is contagious, and, and it's something that we we needed. I think we lacked. Um, but he, he also makes our offense run. And, you know, just simple things he says in the locker room um, before we head up to Vancouver, and I think that makes a difference. And uh, he's a calming presence, and uh, we're very thankful that we have him on our squad.
3: So you get the Saskatchewan rush this week, and you played him. Four times during the regular season, he unfortunately came out three-one on the opposite end. But you lost two of those games in Saskatchewan by one goal. So you know you guys can play with this team. What's the message from Pat Coyle in preparation for a big game Saturday night? I think just to go out and play. Um,
2: we're not going to look at like any other game. It's um, like I said, they're, they're a solid squad, and they're the Rainy champs two years in a row. Uh, they're a disciplined team, and that starts from their coaching staff. Uh, but we have a good squad, too, and, and we're not really comparing teams here. We're just worried about us. We're going to go out and play.
3: How important is getting that first game at home?
2: Uh, I think it's huge. Um, you know, we're excited to be back in our barn, uh, especially in front of our fans, and we owe them uh, a playoff game. But I think to take that first game is huge. You go into any ser- series, whether it's, um, you know, and then all of summer, the first game sets the tone. And, uh, you know, that's what we have our eyes on.
3: You've kind of accepted Denver as a second home, and, and, and you're there quite often. What's it mean for you to be a captain in a city like Denver with so many other great sport teams and so many other legends that have kind of gone through that city? What does it mean for you to be sort of a, a new native son of Denver?
2: Yeah, it's uh, Denver's definitely kind of taken its toll as my second home um you know you kind of look at the sports teams here and the success they have it's pretty humbling um, i just look at you know the captains of w- want to see uh for the man with gary gay Gab pro john glant and johnny jr it's um i'm kind of an awe still but um i just go about my business i uh you know i just try to work hard on a daily basis and my work habits have kind of got me to where i am today um but to, to lead a team like this and have a chance to, to bring a, a championship home is, is very special, and uh, I'm just thankful for this
3: opportunity. It's obviously going to be nice to to win this a championship with a great group of guys. How much more nice would it be to win uh, with your longtime buddy Stephen <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, That'd be
2: pretty special. Um, you know, Keo and I have uh, been fortunate enough to win some man cups uh, in the summer together. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a you know, a great guy, great teammate. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why we got him. When, when I kind of got wind of that, uh, 28 was going to be on our team. I was pretty pumped, uh, obviously because he's my, my buddy, but I know what he brings to our team. He kind of, electrifies, uh, your squad. And he does the, the dirty things that you not necessarily see on, on a score sheet, but, uh, he's a leader too. And I don't think he's ever really worn an A or C, but it, the things he says on a bench, you guys definitely perk up and listen to what he has to say. And, uh, um, like the Bakio, and Sulfur, we're, we're pumped to have these guys on our squad.
3: You, you, this is a team that you know has gone through injuries this year, and you've had guys out of the lineup because suspensions and whatnot. But it shows your depth to be able to put guys like Brent Adams and Nick Ocello and and Josh Sullivan and Taylor Stewart being able to rotate those guys in out of the lineup. This is that's been a bit, a bit of a different thing for this group because you haven't had that quality depth in years
0: past.
2: Yeah, and I think that's credit to our management and coaching staff. And, you know, that's Steve Govett and Dan Carey, and they do a great job in the off season, kind of keeping the fingers on the pulse. of who they want uh, on our squad or who is available. And, uh, you know, Pac Boyle a great mind, and he sees um, what's going on in the West coaching at Capitlam. And, you know, obviously, Stroop and Gilly, uh, they're always kind of – they have their fingers on the pulse as well, just kind of knowing who's coming up through the, the junior system. But, you know, we just talked about a next-man-up mentality, and um, I think maybe in the previous years, maybe we've been lacking that, but I think our systems are so set in stone that guys are, you know, paying attention, um, you know, what we got to do to get better. And these guys, Nick Acello, Brent Adams, anybody can step in any time. And, and the best part about those guys is that they all bring something unique about their game and, you know, throwing a Brent Adams in there to show speed or Acello, who's a big body, um, it's – you know we're confident in every one of these guys, and, uh, and and they're great teammates too. It's not like these guys are soft or not in the lineup, and uh, that goes a long way. And these guys uh, will fight for one another, and and that's the brotherhood that we have in that locker room.
3: Will there be nerves Saturday night?
2: Sorry, say that again.
3: Will there be nerves Saturday night?
2: Uh, I think so. I think uh, that uh, you know pressure is going to be there, and, and going the rest of the way, it's, it's a part of the game. It's a matter of how we use this pressure, we can use it to our advantage or disadvantage and as we talk about our mental makeup and uh and we're gonna have to you know you know uh, saskatchewan's been there they've they they have a ton of experience and I think to our credit, we have Zach breer Brad Self, and Stephenhen Keel who played more than uh you know uh playoff games uh than the rest of us so we're gonna obviously obviously lean on them, but I think you know we're a naive group, and we don't really. We don't really care. We're just going to go out and play. It's it's going to be a dogfight, and they're a good squad. We're a good squad. We're not going to really, uh, we're not going to really compare to anything else. We're just going to go out and show who the better team is.
0: A very calm and composed Dan Coates, captain of the Colorado Mammoth. I caught up with him earlier on the day. He had to do some coaching down in Denver, so I uh, couldn't keep him too long. But you could almost hear the sort of Poised relief in his voice, knowing that they're off to the division finals and they get a shot at the rush, a team that, you know, everybody's trying to hunt down. And for him, Joey Capito, Cam Holding, you know, there's guys that have been on this club for a number of years who have felt the pain of playoff losses more than anybody else on that team. So to get over that bump, leave it in the rearview mirror, and now they can focus on the rush, you know. Now they have the drive and they have the focus and the know-it-all to what they have to do to move forward. They can't rest on the laurels of one win. They have to, you know, enjoy that moment that was Saturday night. And as Pat Coyle said in the locker room after, enjoy it. But as soon as Sunday comes... We're already in pre-game mode. And they will get the rush at home Saturday night at the Pepsi Center. It is going to be a rocking night in Denver. One of the weird things that came out of that game last week in Vancouver. How many penalties were called? Take a minute to think about it. 3 2 just two penalties, and they were called at the same time on the same person, and Vancouver scored twice. Bryce Sweeting took an illegal crosscheck and then another illegal crosscheck at 10.36 of the second quarter, and those are the only times somebody went to the penalty box. It was incredible. And for a playoff game to have that few penalties, you would think, oh, man, it was a clean game. Uh, the refs really called it tight. Well, not really. Todd LeBranch, Matt Garrison, Chris Williams, they did an incredible job refing that game. I thought they let the players decide it. I didn't really, you know, there were moments where, yeah, you probably could have called a hold. But it was in the process of a lacrosse play. You probably maybe could have called a high stick. But, you know, it was a guy in the middle of a check. It was really unintentional. There was no malice to it. They let the players play. And it was incredible because we saw a fantastic lacrosse game. It was a track meet. There were six transition goals scored in that game. Five of them came from Colorado. It was just a very good lacrosse game to watch. And the hope is moving forward that we get more games like that. Because even in that Toronto game, there weren't a lot of penalties called. There wasn't a single one in the first period, three in the second, one in the fourth. If you throw out the fightings, there was only three other penalties. And most of them were roughing. And they're at the same times. So, you know, If you take out that fourth quarter of that Toronto game, there was only, you know, four penalties called in that game. It was, and I think that, and I I haven't spoken with Brian Lemon, so I don't know, you know, what he kind of said to his official crews for those games where they said, hey, you know what, let them play. And if you see, like, I think what I think would be is the mandate would have been, hey, you know what, let them play. If there's anything egregious, call it if it's just a little tug-and-grab here and you can keep that consistent from first whistle to last, then let them do it. And I think truly that's the way it should be because nobody wants to see a playoff game bogged down and slowed down by penalties. You call the necessary things and then you can let the littler things go. And if the guys know that and they understand that, then they'll play within the rules. They'll try to bend them here and there try to get away with things, and for the most part, they will. But it's the really bad things, the extra chops, the two-hand slashes, the late hits, those are the things that we really need to focus on. And I thought both officiating crews did a really good job over the weekend of just letting the players decide the game as best they could. So now, we get to move on to the division finals Saturday night. And I hope you're ready because we are in for some very, very good lacrosse. As mentioned, it will be starting on the 13th, Georgia at Toronto, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And then two hours later, 9 p.m. Eastern, Saskatchewan at Colorado. Both of those games are available on TV. Andy McNamara. Brian Shanahan will have the call from Toronto. I will have the call in Colorado. Still don't know who will ride shotgun. Waiting to see if Jamie Schuchuk and John Gallant's high school team advance in the state playoffs. So we'll have to make that decision at game time as we get closer. But uh, I'm sure everybody will be tuning in on NLL TV or live in person. And we're going to see some fantastic lacrosse. Remember, the playoffs, second round. Division Finals, two games with the minigame. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw the minigames. Because when Georgia and Toronto played, they played two games. Both were decided in overtime. Saskatchewan and Colorado played four times. With the rush coming out on top three times. And all three of their wins were by one goal. Including an overtime game. So look for home floor to be a huge advantage and look for the mini games in a couple of weeks. It is going to be intense, loud, and hopefully jam packed Saturday night at both the ACC and the Pepsi centers. We get game one of the West and East. Division finals underway. One more thing before we get out of here. Uh, I imagine um, the Inside Lacrosse Awards will be coming out shortly. Um, We've all put in our votes. We're just waiting for them to be unveiled. Remember, these aren't the official league awards. I believe the league will continue with the pattern of Releasing three nominees for each of the awards as the playoffs go along. But we haven't really seen anything or heard anything about that as of yet. So, um, But that's the way they've done it in the past few years. So keep your eye out for that. And then finally... I need to get this out of the way because it's going to happen every week. The Subway Lacrosse Talk national rankings are out. And they come out every week once we get into this time of year. And it ranks the Senior A and Junior A teams across the country. We rank the top, or they rank, I have to be careful here, they rank the top seven Senior A teams and the top 10 Junior A teams. So, obviously, Senior A hasn't started, so this is just a general ranking. Six Nations, The Ridge, Peterborough, Victoria, Brooklyn, New West, Burnaby. Safe to say, top to bottom, the two Minto, or Man Cup finalists, the two league ch- finalists, and then down. Since the BC Junior A has started, Coquitlam's up at the top at 2-0. And then Orangeville, Six Nations, Brampton, New West, Mimico, Langley, Burlington, Calgary, Delta. That's your top ten. So, I will announce these every week as I get them. I post them on Twitter. But please, I do not do these rankings. These are done by somebody at the BC Lacrosse Association. This person just takes a look at schedules, records, and then, in his opinion, ranks them accordingly. I'm not going to say it's biased, because it's not. I just think it's not as well executed as it could be. For example, the Okotok Raiders aren't even on there. And that's okay. The Mountaineers were in the Minto. They were in ninth. They could probably be higher. But again, that's just my opinion. And Jake Elliott brings up a valid point. Why aren't these a governed body or a committee-ranked system? Why is it just one person and their opinion? And truly, if you only have one person doing it and they rank the teams, then it is just their opinion. And yes, you can get mad and angry and frustrated. Why is it my team on there? And you can use these rankings for bulletin board material. If that's what you need to get your team fired up, at all, so be it. I'm cool with that. But don't take any huge weight in these. They're just rankings. They're just one per... I say this all the time. Whenever I do rankings or picks or anything like that, I'm terrible at them. But it's just... When I do them, it's just my opinion. And I love when... And it happens with every sport. When people do you know draft rankings or um, preseason rankings, whatever it be. Whoever the person that makes those polls up, everybody always jumps all over them. And that's fine. That's your opinion. Just like it was the writer's opinion. But know that when I post these rankings, they're not done by me. But I agree with Jake and that there should be a quote-unquote committee to vote on these national rankings if they're going to do it. However, the one thing that makes it hard is not being able to watch every game. So if I'm ranking and I and they say okay rank the top 7 senior A teams. Well, if I can't watch every single game and I'm unable to see a Six Nations Peterborough game or if I'm ranking the juniors and I can't watch an Orangeville Mimico game. And that game could have huge implications. And sure the score board or the Game sheet might tell you one thing, but watching games and watching how players play and their strengths or weaknesses, all that goes into those kind of things. So that's where it hurts to have, you know, having a quote unquote committee. If people can't watch all of the games, it's hard to do a just ranking. But I think that is something that needs to be discussed. Again, I don't put a lot of weight in those things, it's just a person's opinion. If you, so it is what it is, but um, if they're going to do it and, and they really want to make this an, act, an actual thing, then maybe it should be a committee and they should pick, you know, six people from across the country to throw in their votes and then you tabulate it. Maybe that's what needs to be done. I don't know. It's not for me to say. What it is for me to say is that is it for another week here. On the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Thank you to Tom Schreiber. And thanks to Dan Coates for stopping by and giving us some time. And of course, as always, thanks to you for checking in to another episode here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. Next week, we'll preview game two. We'll check in with Saskatchewan and Georgia. And we'll get you set for moving towards the finals and possible mini-games as we work through the National Lacrosse League playoffs. Uh, Shout out Spreza who sent me my first box of goodies. I will definitely be rocking them Saturday night on NLL TV for the Mammoth and Rush game. If you're in Denver, hope to see you there. If you can't get to Denver or Toronto, make sure you tune in to NLL TV. And if you are able to go to the game, take a friend. And if you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun you will have, too. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at off the cross. Until next week, enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.